Hi, everyone, and you are tuned into Social Night at WDBM. Here I am today, George McNeil, with two of my good friends, Maddie and Matt. And we're going to talk about the Amazon Prime show, Patriot, which was launched in 2015 and had two seasons. And today, we're going to talk about the first season of this very, very strange show. Maddie, Matt, how are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I'm Matt. Thank you. I'm Maddie, and I would like to say I'm doing pretty good. Cool. Let's jump right in. So I've been telling you both to watch this show for probably about as long as I've known either of you. Um, I think first thing that you said to me when we met was you should watch Patriot on Amazon Prime. That sounds like something I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Within the first couple months of working at the station, that almost became a running joke of just at the, at the tail end of a meeting, I would just give a shout out to Patriot on Amazon. <laughs> it just like perpetuating, kept on going. But now here we are in the middle of quarantine and we finally made the time to watch it. So I wanted to ask you both, what inspired you to watch the show and how would you even try to describe it? Well, I mean, George, you inspired me to watch this show. <laughs> I'd just like to say that. But um, I'm always like looking for new things to watch, so that just was really the pushing factor. And I think Amazon Prime is so underrated in what they make because I feel like they don't get a lot of like hype for all the shows that they make. It's more just like, oh, Amazon is what I order things off of. That's what it's known for, not just like the video side of it. But whenever I try to pitch this show, like I've been trying to pitch it to my dad to make him to watch it. So I pitch it like this like a guy who's undercover he's like working for the united states and then he gets out his feelings of trauma through song as being like a folk singer that's kind of how i've been pitching it to him i'm trying to get through to him like that but that's just like the initial beginnings of it but it's obviously so much more than that uh the thing that inspired me to watch this show was friendship Uh, (laughs) oh also i was uh I was watching a lot of uh, New Girl over quarantine, and I was like, this is great, low-stakes show, but I need to balance it out with something really high-stakes. What's that show George has always been telling me to watch? So I binged it all in like a week and a half. Whenever I try to pitch this to someone, which I have done several times, because the show makes you want to like <laughs> just tell people about it. I don't know, I usually just throw out random details until something sticks, but I'll say it's like an... Uh, undercover intelligence officer who's uh working in a steel plant also a folk singer all his songs are just like detailed explanations of every single part of his covert operations that's usually the part that gets people i think but yeah and the the weird thing about this show is that it's 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 much more of a long-term pitch to like i think really entice you into thinking oh okay that makes sense i want to watch that because when you compare it to other, even just talking about the first episode, when you look at shows like, say, Breaking Bad, the pilot kind of spells out how the rest of the series is going to go because that's about, it identifies what the protagonist wants and where he's going from there. And this show is so strange because it cuts back and forth in such a non-sequential way. And it, I think for me, like even showing people it, you really have to have almost a bit of a patience to just trust in where it's going because it's a bit weird. So I guess going back to maybe the first episode that you watched, at what point were you like, oh, this is weird. I really want to keep watching. What's keeping you going? For me, it was when he pushes Steven in front of the truck within the first couple minutes. But what was it for you both? No, that was the <laughs> that was the exact same moment when I realized like just what kind of show I was watching. I don't know. I kind of just like stood there with my jaw dropped, and I think that's when the theme song kicks in too, isn't it? But then the first song that he does too, where he's just sitting on a park bench about halfway through the episode, and he's singing about basically his backstory and the cause of all of his trauma and things like that. And I'm like, all right, I've never seen a character introduction like this before, but it's it's definitely working for some reason. Yeah, I would have to agree that part with Steven was just like a shock factor so it was just like oh okay and then it was brought with such like a good song as a theme song so I was like I don't know what to think of this but I agree the first song I think it's in the first couple minutes where he's like sitting in a park bench in Amsterdam and he's just letting out all of his feelings and they show like the bad guy on a vacation and how he was supposed to shoot him and it's just multifaceted and you're like wait what why is this such a calming song though (laughs) 
but those two moments were like, oh, okay, I think I'm going to like this show. Yeah, and it's it's a little unsettling too because like you both mentioned, within the first five minutes, there's a cold open of John Tavner, known as John Lakeman. He goes in for this interview at Macmillan, an industrial oil firm, and he's tanking in the interview because he doesn't have his numbers right. It's pretty clear to the rest of the group that he doesn't really know what he's doing. And then he walks out next to this guy, Stephen, who just seems like a really nice, amicable person who offers him comfort and like, hey, you know, maybe next time, you know, tomorrow's another day. And then John pushes him in front of, the, of a bus. That sets off a very strange expectation for what kind of character is this that he, he pushes someone else in front of a bus for a job? And then, yeah, they go to that song when he's in Amsterdam. And then it introduces this whole other side of that. So that's what I want to ask about next. This show is very particular about how it uses music as a narrative device. Because, yeah, John is like using it to give some exposition about what his history is or what he's feeling or how he's processing what he has to do. So how does that work? Like, how do you both perceive that? Like, what's John really saying with that? And how how is it effective? Well, like in the beginning, um, I remember the dad, like rewatching the first episode today, the dad is just explaining that there's one problem with the son, and that's that he gets out his emotions and feelings through folk songs and is like bad about revealing secrets that way. But I think it's used as a little bit of like comedy in there as well. But then I just think it's good because it actually shows that John does need an outlet for all of this trauma. Like he is honestly like a good person but he can't help needing an outlet for doing all this obedient work that he doesn't want to necessarily do but he does it shows that he feels guilt about what he's doing so i think that's how the music is kind of used for that way this is going to be kind of a rambling answer but uh i feel like it's a lot of similarities of how with like therapy they would have you kind of journal your thoughts and things like that and this is his method of journaling i guess it's like a substitute for basically having a voiceover, hearing the main character's voice in their head throughout a show, which I thought it like, it has the potential to become lazy of just like, okay, we're just going to tell the audience what to think right now. But for some reason, it never does, even though we have like multiple scenes where the character is just flat out bluntly laying out exactly what they're thinking and feeling. Because at the same time, it's still like, so open interpretation. The main character is kind of just like a, a steel trap at times where you're not quite sure what to make of him. I love how you mentioned that because there's a song later in the season called Ducks where it's just John is singing about Stephen at work, um, the guy he pushed in front of the bus, and how as a result of that accident, Stephen has severe brain damage and is working through therapy, but he's also permanently lost his sense of humor. And John notes that in this song to himself while he's just at home by himself one night on his deflating air mattress in in the op space that's been barely set up for him. He's... He's like obviously emotionally grieving through that, but he's more talking about how, like in the song, essential it is to exist. Like you need to have a sense of humor in order to really appreciate life and the little comedies and and just how to kind of work through grief and, you know, little slights of hand or whatever. And like you're, like you're saying that it was so, it's, it's not explicitly saying, I feel tremendous guilt for pushing him from that bus. But I mean, that's really what it's about. And I think the show is really compelling and how it does that with its music i i think also i think now we could probably move into a spoiler category so listeners if you have not seen the entirety of patriot season one you may want to go finish that before you listen to the rest of this um there was a specific part i want to quickly ask you both about the flashback of john with rob saperstein like that friendship they had in amsterdam when john is really dealing with his initial trauma of shooting the male hotel maid. Let's just talk about that. Like the, the importance of Rob's character there and, you know, the little growth that he had there when they just had their little night of friendship and camaraderie and talking about music. Like, what did you guys think of that? I think that's probably the only time in season one where we, we see John like genuinely happy or at least acting happy. And it just makes it like that much harder when it smash cuts to his current day situation. They do a good job of immediately making you like Rob and care about their relationship to each other. Yeah, I feel like Rob is just like such a, like in comparison to John, just like a very like 
tall, thin man. And then Rob is basically this like gentle giant who is always paddling around in a broken kayak. And he just cares so much about music and that's his whole life. So when they flash back to that moment with him and John, it kind of shows them connecting and John finding solace in someone else. And just, it's like music is his passion. And you see him get to explore that when like his whole life he's been hardwired to just do as he's told by his dad, go and kill this person, go and kidnap this person, go and get this money, deliver it. But then this is truly when you get to see him at his happiest. I feel like Rob kind of partially represents the uh, like optimistic part of John's personality that's like constantly pushed to the wayside or like buried away. Yeah, I, I think you're both very right. And the fact that, again, yeah, John starts in the chronology of the show, I guess, he's laying low in Amsterdam and is completely, like, there's the, like this darkness and a heavy weight to his songs. And when he and Rob meet at that karaoke bar, Rob is, like, encouraging him, like, you, know, you try a little bit of light in there. And they're working through that. And Rob kind of sees that John is kind of in a darker place. And just that he's not really able to, like, that, let that light shine in. And then they have this this night where they just go out and they talk about music and about their fights on music forums. They get in a fight at a bar and then they talk about their favorite Seinfeld characters. And then John like sings with such happiness and, and like a soulfulness to him that wasn't there before. And yeah, I think you're right in that Rob would be what John could be if he was separate from his tasks. Yeah. And the weird thing about that, too, is we haven't really even talked about John's family situation, but John and his love for music is also something inherited by his father, Tom, who's also the director of intelligence for the CIA and John's boss. So let's talk about Tom for a second. Um, and, and Ed, like, what's John's family situation? What did that speak to you both? Like, even talking about the first episode. Um, well, seeing Tom, I just immediately thought, Locke from Lost, obviously, because I can't see him as any other character. Um, but also, I just, well, George, you know, because every time we watch together, I would just be fuming because I hate Tom with every fiber of my being because he's just stifling John. And I just think that he's the antagonist of the show because <laughs> I think his priority is his country and his duties as CIA director and then his family second. Like, he really views John more as like he views him as his son but he more so oh he can he handles it he's got it yeah. he can do whatever task I throw at him he doesn't think of him emotionally at all and it's mainly his brother who thinks of him emotionally who I love Edward because like myself he is a fellow Beastie Boys fan mm -hmm. <laughs> one of the and he I just think he's so funny like I wrote down one of the quotes he said that I watched in the episode today where he goes like he's wearing a tracksuit and he likes to call himself Big Rick. Cool and Rick. Cool Rick, that's right. And then so, like, he's wearing a tracksuit, and Alice is like, why are you wearing the tracksuit? And he goes, oh, MCA died Friday, and a little part of me died too, so I'm wearing the, like, license to ill tracksuit. Right. Yeah, so I just think Edward is, like, the one who is always thinking of John emotionally in that way because he feels like his father isn't because Edward has always been seen as second to John from his dad just in terms of they view Edward as this little kid who just runs around, breaks everything, is just a little bit aloof at times. But Edward, I love. Tom, absolutely not. <laughs> Stop hurting John. <laughs> I think probably the relationships between those three are probably the most important relationships of the show. But Ed, first of all, Ed is my favorite character, I think, probably. But there's something about all three of them, John, Tom, and Ed, have very, I want to say, likable personalities, but in really different ways. Mm -hmm. Like with Ed, he's just this super genuine, innocent guy that when you see him get excited, it makes you get excited. Um, with John, you kind of feel bad for him. He's like a lost puppy and you just want him to be okay. But on the other hand, Tom has kind of that like professional likability to him where he's got the polite business attitude, but you're never sure if he's trying to manipulate you and if he has his own wishes deep down. And the fact that he's also into music, like is the one who got John started in music and all that kind of makes me think like, is that one possible path that John could end up as? Is he like predetermined to be Tom in the future? 
And that's a very good point because one of the central themes of the show, I think, is about the importance of family. And I think Tom says that at one point where he's like, like that word family means more to me than anything. So Maddie was like, I think he, I agree more with you in that I think Tom has a habit to weaponize family to, yeah. you know, protect his duty, like to make sure he's protecting his country and fulfilling his duties. Yeah, like you can't tell the difference between caring for them as family versus caring for them as employees almost. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't think Tom is necessarily completely careless. No. Because he does care. Right. And we'll talk more about that in, in the season two discussion as well. But there's, you know, there's plenty of points in the first couple episodes where Tom asks, are you good? Like, how are you doing? And John just sort of shrugs off and just says, yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. I think that also speaks to why John does what he does, because as you go through the season, I mean, there's plenty of moments where we could list it. I mean, he steals the legs of the Vietnam veterans for birdbath. He, uh, you know, he continually messes with Steven's recovery. He kind of makes a fool out of his coworkers, et cetera, et cetera. He does all these things that, it, you know, if you were just judging those individually and without context, you'd be like, well, that was kind of a dark thing to do or reckless or what, like, what's the purpose behind that? And he does it for his family, essentially. Yeah. Matt, did you have something you want to add to that quick? Uh, well, I think that's kind of the same thing that's set up just in the first couple minutes with when he pushes Steven in front of the car. Is that like one of the biggest conflicts with John's characterization is you're never sure if he's a tragic hero being forced to do all these terrible things or is he an, an anti-hero who's like, I don't know, genuinely doing things that are morally wrong that he should be finding a way out of. No, that's a good point. Evaluating where John's head's at and like what his culpability is and you know what his role is. And I think that's actually where, where Alice's character comes into play too, because, you know, Alice loving John, but not totally knowing at least at first what he does. And then she investigates that because she's noticing that her husband is acting out of sorts and that he's, he's calling her on missions when he's not supposed to be. He's, he's been, dis he seems distressed from whatever happened before. There's comments made about how they had a previous tough year. And then there's plenty of points where Alice genuinely asks Tom, like, I don't think anyone's looking out for John and I'm, I'm worried about him. I'm going to go see him. Um, there's such an, a focus on familial relationships and love and support of one another. And it's, it's interesting how every character sees that a different way. Oh, we even have, I just connected these dots, but we even have Ed in the, I think the very first episode with his, uh, his son, Effort, yeah. He, um, because Ed wasn't taking care of him, watching him, he winds up falling off of a building and injuring himself. And I guess that that's kind of very similar to this did happen, right? I'm not thinking. No, you're right. Yeah. That's the same as uh, the relationship between John and Tom. It shows that even characters like Ed aren't immune to this influence and have the potential to unknowingly cause a lot of harm to their family. Yeah, because they feel a call to Tom and to John. So he leaves that and goes and like leaves Ephraim jumping off of a building with an umbrella thinking he can fly then breaking most of the bones in his body. But and then like also Edward, part of his character is that he can't get married to this woman that he loves because like as a congressman, he can't have a baby with a woman without being married. But then that happened. And so he was like, oh, now I have this secret child. And then he calls Ephraim, his little buddy, right. instead of telling everybody that that's his son. And he just like, so part of him feels shame for that family. And then at the same time, feels a calling to his other family. And that's, that, that also is in line with how so many of the characters in this show, and I, you know, obviously with John and Eddie, you can see that with just how they kind of have a lot of emotional repression where they keep what they're feeling on the inside and have difficulty conveying that. And then they have like selective outlets for it. I mean, you also see that though with other characters, like um, we haven't even talked about Leslie. I mean, you know, Leslie's whole backstory. Let's talk about that. How, how do you, how did you feel about Leslie as a character at first? And then when you saw that, that cold open where it's just about his past addiction and everything like that, let's talk about Leslie. Well, at first I was like, this is the guy from that 70s show. This is Red Foreman. Smith, yep. But other than that, at first I just thought he was just this like mean, always out to get John, and I really hated him at first. But then you see him in this light with his family, 
where he had problems with addiction and then was outcast from his family, was out ousted from his initial company that he created. Yep. And he really had to like build himself up again. We learned that he was the dentist in prison and you're just like, I had no idea about any of this. And it really just like changes his character a little bit. You understand why he is the way he is and that he's really trying to reform himself for his family. You see him trying to reach out to his son again and try to gain his trust again. And that was like a really quick 180 for me because at first I just didn't like Leslie at all. But then I was like, okay, maybe he's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, Maddie basically covered my thoughts too. But I'm glad they took a few episodes before they really got into his backstory because they build him up to make you hate him as this grouchy authority figure where it's like, yeah, he's just doing his job. But the story needs like a character like this for conflict and stuff was my thinking up until his backstory gets revealed and you realize he really does have motivations for doing all of these things. And he's like so much more than just a plot device. He's an actual three-dimensional character. That's, I think... I, I've, you both already know this. I've rewatched this show many times. Like this is probably my favorite show. And yeah. I think a, a core part of that is that every character in this show serves a role and is multifaceted and isn't just like a bit part. Like there's, there's something to them that's a bit more than what you see on the surface or there's, you know, some aspect of their past that's really interesting and compelling or they're just really sharply written. Like there's, you know, like thinking about even the most, so the the smallest characters who are only in for quick seconds, like Lawrence, who's Leslie's boss at Macmillan. Um, and Lawrence is just strange quirks with, well, A, being incompetent at his job, but also his fascination with, I think her name was Lori, like a woman he's in love with on their duck hunt and how he likes to get slapped in the back of the legs with Twizzlers and just weird, weird quirks. And then you, you know, you get people who, yeah, like Rob Saperstein and you get Gregory Gordon from HR, all these like very characters that you would actually pretty much enjoy hanging out with or just inhabiting the same space with. I think at some point the show makes you feel bad for every single character that shows up for any amount of time. Exactly. Like every single character has like some little part that makes you a little bit sad about them, but I guess it makes you appreciate them. But, like, I feel like that you're right on with that. Like, every single character. Yeah. And it's interesting. We were talking, you you mentioned that you thought Tom was the antagonist as well. And and Leslie's also a source of conflict. And there's many antagonists in this show. There's there's Cantor Wally, who's kind of the the overarching villain of the entire series. But then you have the entire, uh, the Kandahar family, who are, like, the Iranian family that essentially parallels the Tavners. Because you have the sons, uh, I think it's it's Mikam and uh, Kaiman, who are essentially John and Eddie, like verbatim, and they they make fun of that too when both Eddie and Kaiman are in the uh, the King Gerald Hotel and they're wearing identical track suits and they're talking about how they you know they can stay at the best hotels in the country because they're using taxpayers' money and they go stare at attra- this is horrible they stare at attractive women and pretend to work out and, and like even the characters who are antagonists or foils for the character you feel sympathy for and you can like empathize with their perspectives and histories like talking about with the Kandars you know there's the the episodes where it's all about their love for the Jaywick Sand soccer teams and how you know when they were little they suffered such like racial persecution just living within the country but then or within London at this time but they have this just bond that was forged through their love for sports and their love for one other as a family and i just think that's a really special quality of the show yeah like even the antagonists they always like humanize them mm-hmm. in some way shape or form they just show them like interacting with their friends so you're like okay they actually like have a life they know how to laugh they know how to smile i think that's why it is really important that there is like like it's hard to tell who the antagonist truly is because you feel for i think almost everyone in that show it adds a lot of stakes and makes everything more complicated because you're never like, okay, John's going to do this mission and get out and it's going to go well. You're like, whether it goes well or whether it goes bad, something awful is going to happen to a character that we care about no matter what. So that I think adds a lot of tension to the show. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm even thinking of a, 
like Jack Birdbath being a prime example of that too, because the, the first episode is just a throwaway line where they talk about how Jack Birdbath was a former cop who then shot a nine year old Puerto Rican boy in the back and was disgraced and now works as a security guard. And he set up as this like mysterious conniving guy who's like forcing John to steal the legs from Vietnam veterans and plant stuff in an evidence room, steal someone's calming dog. So, you know, at first he has this bit of a sinister sort of off-color character quality to him where you're like, well, what's this guy really about? And he's a killer and he's a disgraced cop and you have all these like associations about him instantly. And then by the penultimate episode, he talks about how the judge essentially got him out of facing justice and how he really wants to essentially plan his own death so he can give the, the paper boy who he shot insurance money with his own death and just like pay it back and, and make amends for his, his grievances and his suffering. So there's a whole other complexity that, that makes you analyze everything that had happened prior. And the whole Jack Birdbath thing kind of emphasizes to how much of this show is a, is a slow burn at times because they'll just have a bunch of things happen where you might not know if they're just like random little things that the show added to be like quirky and have a personality, like stealing the legs from Vietnam vets and things like that. But then every single detail like that by the end of season one has been reincorporated probably way more than anyone would guess and an integral part of everything that's happening. Like there's almost nothing unintentional about the show, I would say. I think Birdbath is one of my favorite characters just because I love his demeanor so much. Like he, he comes up the first episode, he's grouchy. And then like, you're like, why is he telling him to take this guy's therapy dog away from him and plant evidence and then you learn why and you feel like he feels so much remorse for what he did and he's literally just like kill me I don't care like I don't I don't have any money to give him but I have insurance until tomorrow John I need you to kill me so that they that family can get this money and because he's like I wanted justice to be served I think I deserve to be in prison or something other and he just like is so aware of himself and it just like kind of killed me when john forgot to kill him yeah like no like all birdbath wanted was to just help that family but you know instead he got i think he did somehow help the family but instead he got a friendship with john and i think that was beautiful i love birdbath so much he's just like become just like a funny character who's always hanging out with john I've never been more stressed by a character I liked not getting murdered. Exactly. I was like, I love him so much. I want him to die so that he gets everything he ever wants. Right. Uh, and, and then they go on that, that final duck hunt where Birdbath is with him and he's saying like, hey, why, why didn't you do it? Like, that's all I wanted. And, you know, he's, he's chastising John. And there's this overarching thread of, well, John didn't do the one thing Birdbath wanted. So now Birdbath has every right to out him to the rest of the group that John is not who he says he is. And instead, Birdbath around the fire, when they're all together in the end, he has the power in his hand to completely out John and Tom. But then he's like, this guy and his dad still somehow get along. And he makes it like this very heartfelt kind observation. And it's like every character has, whether it's positive or negative, there's growth and an arc for every character. And I think that's... That's really, really special. Ooh, there's one character I want to ask you both about because, you know, they have, they have like next to zero lines apart from maybe two or three essential scenes. But there's the wife of the Egyptian physicist who is supposed to collect the money, the bag of money and bring it back to Iran. So it's Mahatma El-Mashad is her name. She's, she's covered in like a hijab and a black robe for most of the, the series but then as it progresses, she's, she's speaking more. She's like taking off, like she's dipping her feet in water. She's taking off for her job. And what do you think that character's all about? What was the movie that she watched in the hotel room? She watched Tangled. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. I was trying to remember, but I don't know that character. Matt, what do you think? <laughs> I think in a way she's kind of the anti-John. She's sent by her country to do this like one task and she takes advantage of the opportunity to experience more freedom in a way instead of being bound by responsibility. Yeah, for sure. 
That's what, that's what I see as well. And it's, you know, as you go through the, the whole, her own arc, I think by like the end of the series, she's like walking around in day, like just wearing a full dress uncovered. And then at night, I think she's like even watching pornography. And she's like almost completely separate from her restrictions imposed on her in the beginning where they're saying, your restrictions remain the same, you know, honor your customs, etc. And she's become like a completely transformed person in a in the opposite way, yeah, that John was and that John's become more entrenched in his duties and he's become more self-destructive and paranoid and emotionally broken down to the point where he rides his bike into the car just to try and get himself out of it. It's a lot to process. One person we haven't talked about I want to is Ichabod because he's so funny to me the fact that like one of the like he was just like a background character for me until John was talking to him at the duck hunt and he goes Peter what's your last name and he goes Ichabod and he's like oh I thought that was a nickname and he goes wait why did you think that was a nickname just because he looks like Ichabod Crane (laughs) and I just he's so funny and then is it the first season that he does platonic like, non-sexual male cuddling yeah yes. he just really like is such like a nice guy and he's so weird but he's just funny that way and you can see that he does like have care for his friends and he views them as his friends yeah and he's another source of conflict at first because he's the one who's revealed to be scribbling like liar onto john's desk and the whole time you're in the back of your mind you're thinking oh man like who else knows the dirt on john and by the time it's revealed that it is Ichabod, it's not even like the real dirt. It's like that John lied on his resume. Like he didn't go to the University of Pennsylvania or whatever. And <laughs> so then like that's a whole other thing through the ringer. But yeah, Ichabod's such a just sweet, wholesome, and yet still a little unsettling <laughs> character. Slightly unsettling, but... Yeah. Uh, in, an, in another show where it might see like the main character have all these enemies within the company that they uh, deal with somehow. I think it's really cool how in this show, his solution is basically that John winds up becoming friends with every all the aggressors that he has in the company, like from Dennis to uh, Ichabod to Lawrence. That is a recurring theme too of John turning uh, enemies into like close friends and associate assistants. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And I think that's the first we mentioned Dennis too. And Dennis is like from the very beginning. I mean, John involves him in his plot from the get-go by having, by telling Dennis in the urinal, I yeah. need to pee in your, I need you to pee in my cup. So tell me both what you think about Dennis and his journey in season one. I love Dennis so much. I think one of the funniest moments of the whole show is when they're in the garage and John is prepping him for his interview with the detective. And then he goes, oh, twins freak me out. I think they're so unsettling. And then like his twin daughters walk in the room and are like, dad, dinner's going to be ready in 45 minutes. He's like, thanks girls. And then John's just like putting two and two together. He's like, um, okay. But Dennis is just so funny. He is so desperate for a best friend that like, it's so clear that he finds that in John, especially in like that to-do list episode where he sets you're my best friend by queen as the reminder, just to like put it in his head that, Hey John, I'm your best friend. I'll do anything for you. And he's like so positive all the time and aloof, but I think it's so funny because he's very similar to Edward in that way, I think, which is why whenever they're on screen together, they just like are the biggest goofballs and they're just like having fun together and joking the whole time. And those are some of the funniest bits. I think Dennis is kind of an audience insert sometimes like, he's almost the straight man to a lot of the scenes, like how a real normal person would react to all of this insanity happening. But at the same time, he always kind of has one foot out of reality too, because he just has such unrealistic expectations about what John's job is and what intelligence agents actually go through. And that's something he has in common with Ed, which I really like their whole bromance thing going on. Dennis and Ed becoming good friends is one of the more fun things to watch no completely and the the, (laughs) dennis is like you just said he's so 
dense to like the true operations of like what John does and like his own image of himself. Like from the first episode, he comes into John's room. And he's like, "Hey, are you doing? Are you doing some cool shit right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> you you might not be able to tell because I always have to wear a suit, but I'm ripped." And he like takes off his shirt to show him that he's like in good shape and can help him with recon. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, when he's talking about his family, like. He follows John in the first episode to like help him with recon. He tells John, he's like, John, I have two daughters and they're all right. But like, and he's just talking about like how he's like unfulfilled with his life. And it's, it's very sad and irresponsible to see a father talk that way. But it's like, it's so chaotic too. But I don't know. Dennis is just a bizarre character and I love him. Yeah. He's definitely like a comedic foil to John's character. Right. That part of this character that you were talking about, uh, George, also, I guess, in a way, kind of fits the audience insert narrative, too, because he's just throwing away all of his life for this distraction and this entertainment of everything that John's going through the same way someone might, like, just watch this show. Right. Ooh, that's kind of profound. And I agree with you completely. And just, yeah, there's so many just human moments, too, where, you know, the conversation is completely unfitting of the moment, but, and yet it happens, and that's almost what's human and organic about it. Like, all the dialogue is so relatable. And I'm specifically thinking of, they have the safe in the hotel room, like Edward and uh, Dennis do, and they have to get it open. And uh, they start talking about how, they should drop the safe out of a window like they do in cartoons. And then Dennis is like, man, why the fuck are safes falling out of window so much in cartoons? And then they do it. And then the whole time when they're doing it, they're talking about like how you both know the scene, but you know, it's just, oh, this is like Mythbusters. Have you seen that show? What? Have you seen the show Mythbusters? And it's, it's so mundane and so simple. And yet it's so funny because <laughs> like you can already imagine how many conversations you may have had in a situation just like that where it's really not the time or place but you know just a random aside is thrown in yeah that reminds me i've seen that i feel like in a lot of comedies where they do like a whole conversation is taking place but they're so far apart and you're like this conversation is one that's a bit more serious and could be done like standing right next to each other but instead they're just like yelling at each other it reminds me of like uh, an episode of Shit's creek which they did that when they were just yelling back and forth and she just goes what oh my gosh and it's just like you did what now and then this conversation can take place right next to each other but what makes it funny is that it's being shouted across the field right exactly patriot does a lot of that like meta joke deconstruction thing that i feel like a lot of shows do but somehow it never comes across as like patronizing or smarter than you attitude like community is one of my favorite shows but they'll always approach the like making fun of the format of tv from the perspective of like we know everything right um, but patriot there's just like so much heart and like genuineness about it that it doesn't feel like they're being condescending when they make fun of their own format it feels like they're in on the joke with us and that's another thing anyone who's like listening and on the fence about starting this show honestly if i had to describe it i would say First and foremost, it's kind of a comedy. I think if if nothing else, this is one of the funniest shows I've ever seen in my life. And I think everyone could appreciate that aspect at the very least. It's interesting that you would describe it as a comedy because I was about to make the argument that I, I really see this show as a very funny drama. Just because, I mean, I don't know, the you know, when you're talking about how this show is very, you know, organic and natural, but it's not patronizing in any way. I think that comes from it just being a very, it's a very life affirming and human centric show and that it's just kind of about how, you know, everyone has their own tasks and their, their own trajectory and what they're working on and what they're working through. And, you know, at times it can seem, you know, insurmountable, but then you can, you can work through it and you ha you can have your own, your own fortitude and ability to work through it and you come out stronger for it. And, but it's never, it's never like as, it's never like a point A to point B, mm. you know, trajectory. There's always some sort of complication that comes around and makes a task harder, but that's such as it is with life, I guess. The way that you just described that, like the A to B is what they say a lot in the show where they're just like, oh, he's going to do this task A to B. But like, obviously it never ends up being that way. 
I was going to revise or retract my statement a little bit then, I guess, in light of what George just said. If, like, a comedy's primary goal is to make you laugh and a drama's primary goal is to get across these, like, this meaning and, like, characterization and stuff, I would say it is more of a, a drama because comedy. comedy is a heavy part of it, but it's not, like, the primary goal of the show. It's just a pleasant side effect. Yeah, and I would agree with you there. And, and there's a good line that the puppeteer makes uh, at the very end of the first season where she's she's talking about how like why she steals things and how she steals the bag but leaves all the money back at the police station for uh for a get to find and she mentions like i i think verbatim she says i steal shit all the time but the fact that i use it for like my puppet shows and to make people happy is like makes me feel less bad and and she's talking about how you know she could choose to demonize herself as a thief but instead she tries she 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 justifies it by just how she's using it to make art and just celebrate life. And I think, you know, all the characters in the show have a habit of rationalizing their behavior or trying to make amends with it. But I think they don't do it in a deliberately malicious or ill-informed, severely ill-informed way. Like they do it in a very humane way where it just, it enables them to appreciate themselves for who they are or challenge who they are and, and aim to be better. And I think that's a really, really cool facet of the show. Yeah. It's kind of like the, uh, the ends justify the means argument is the, like the dark undercurrent to the theme of point A to point B is that it's always more complicated of like, are the things you're doing to get from point A to point B worth. And I feel like all the characters, I don't think any of them are really lying to other people i think they mostly believe that their motivations are pure yeah um, with maybe the exception of tom sometimes might be lying a little bit but yeah that's another interesting thing no one is just saying the ends justify the means as an excuse they actually believe it no exactly and i think that's there's a line from season two that i will semi-spoil um ahead of our discussion tomorrow where one character says like they're doing like I'm doing, like you're doing what they think is best. And I think that describes a lot of the characters in this show about just trying to do the right thing. Whether or not it is the right thing, I think is it's left open for the viewers, like, you know, us to interpret. So the show doesn't like demonize any certain character or party. It's just, it's all within a context and within a bubble to be looked at and taken into perspective. All right. Let's get fun. I had I had two more questions I really wanted to ask. What do you think the show's name is about? It's called Patriot. I I know I remember in an interview the creators were talking about like how how difficult of a name that is sort of to land on and how that makes it a little challenging to pitch in a way. And I think maybe that's made it challenging for us to tell our friends about in a way. But what do you think the show the name Patriot is really about? Well, I would say like yeah, pitching it to my friends and saying it's called Patriot especially like this time in the United States is not viewed as the best. So they're really like confused. They're like, why would I watch a show about that? But really, I think it's just because the show does focus on John so much. I think it's like his, not necessarily patriotism, but his like duty that he feels like his sense of like duty to accomplish anything that his dad throws at him and that it may be for the country too. Yeah. I think every character in the show is a patriot in some way. They all have these unbreakable loyalties to whether it's a country or another character or something like that. Everyone is doing what they do out of loyalty for some cause greater than them. Yeah, personally, like Maddie said, I think the name doesn't really make it easy to get people to watch the show because while I do think it's like a, it is a really well-fitting name, um, there's just something about it that like it doesn't quite capture the the uniqueness and the like quirkiness of this show as well as I would expect. I hate saying this, but like Patriot seems like too basic of a title for a show that's like nothing else I've ever seen. I think that also speaks to how it was named because yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the idea of American ethnocentricity, I think the term Patriot is applied and thrown around quite a bit, especially when you, you know, when you get into, you talk about politics and you talk about the entire 
systemic foundation of our country, you'll, you'll hear people be branded as patriots frequently um, for some reason or another. And I think the quality of what makes someone a patriot is I think what you both touched on, which is just a loyalty and a conviction to, depending on the character, you know, what, what they believe in and then like who they're fighting for. And I think in, in many instances, it's talking about like John's devotion to his family, whether or not it's deserved or, or good for him. Like he has this extreme perseverance and dedication to going through these objects ahead of him and just pushing himself and pushing himself. And I think that in itself is what, I don't know, makes him feel like to me that he earns that title of being a true patriot when I think it, it is applied a little freely in how we use that term. So yeah, I think that also makes it really hard to pitch the show to other people. (laughs) Yeah. I have a fun one now. Who is your favorite character? We've talked about them all, I think to death, but I would just love to know like, which character do you think you most identify with or you most respect or is just the most fun for you? I think, well, my favorite and who I identify with are a little bit different. I think my favorites are Birdbath and Dennis, but I think I relate most to Edward and John just a little bit. Just, I don't know. I feel like I relate a lot to Edward just in Beastie Boys love. And I think he's just like so funny and just like a little aloof all the times. And I kind of like see myself in that. And then John, just like in the way that he feels sometimes and his music, I feel like I relate to a lot. And I feel like that's one thing with this show that I love so much, which is this is cheesy, but I feel like everyone can watch this show and relate to somebody because there's so many characters and they're so like multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite character to watch was definitely Ed, but I think the character I identify most with is probably John. They do a really good job with every character of making them feel like real people and not TV characters, but especially John. And I feel like more so than any other show, like I just sit there the whole time not wanting something bad to happen to him. Like usually when a show ends with like the main character dying or like important characters die in the process of things i can usually have one foot in reality and be like okay this is really sad but it's just a tv show but like this is the first show where i've genuinely thought like if if john tavner dies like that's gonna break me this show is gonna like that's gonna hurt more than any other tv death yeah and i think for me i I mean characters i like the most i think i really enjoy leslie a lot there's a couple of the side characters, like I talked about Kaiman earlier and uh, Gregory Gordon. I both, I really like them both a lot. But yeah, with with John too, I think I don't know if John has. I I want to say other characters have, like are are fleshed out in a a broader way than I think John is. But I think John is and the the actor Michael Dorman I think is really talented at conveying so much with like with like so little like on the page maybe like you know he he might not have much to say but there's this there's something with like how he uses like the inflection of his face and how he delivers his lines and there's like a slight strain to it or sometimes there's just like this really noticeable energy or lightness to it like you can tell when he's really happy and you can definitely tell when he's not doing well and I think it's it's really really cool to watch that guy it's it's a really really cool character yeah, I feel like he can, like, speak paragraphs of dialogue with just a facial expression. Yeah. No, completely. I, I think you're totally right. Man, I just love this show. I think this is probably where we're going to wrap it up for today. But before we leave, do you guys have anything else you want to say about Patriot Season 1 for anyone at home who has yet to make the choice to watch? Oh, wait, I wanted to ask, uh, what's everybody's, like, number one favorite scene from Season 1? I think mine is the... Oh, what is it? The safe falling out of the room and them having that Mythbusters conversation. Just that little bit always like brings a smile to my face. I think mine might be the when the detective uh, Aguette and John play Rochambeau. Oh, that, that was, was my <laughs> Yeah. Was that yours? Yeah. Yeah. Like when they play for like like a three, four minute long take and like neither one of them is giving up and they're both so it's like immovable walls hitting one another that was that's a great scene yeah 
Okay, I'll say a different one then because that was my answer. <laughs> um, it would probably be the scene at the very beginning of episode eight when Tom calls John and tells him that he might be taking him off the mission. And then John hangs up the phone. And then we get this like 10 minute long take of him just like sitting outside of his work as every single like side character comes up to him one by one, adds a new problem to his life and then leaves. And then uh, Tom calls back and says, "Never mind, you're staying on the job. And it's like one of the most claustrophobic scenes I've ever seen. It's the most chaotic scene ever. (laughs) Yeah, it just like shows off every character and like everything coming together for this one like perfect storm. Uh, Good question, Matt. Did you guys want to ask any other questions? Because like, please do. Or no, something that I thought of with the way that Patriot could be um, tied to like American politics as well. And that like, I'm sure there are lessons that could be taken from the show about the state of America in modern day. But I think one of the funniest themes is um, characters desperately needing to go to the hospital and not being able to, <laughs> which is a very American thing, I think. <laughs> That's so dark, but yeah, you're completely right. Or, I mean, going back to, again, you know, I was saying about how John is deserving of that title, Patriot. And I think in the context of the show he is, but if you look at how our society applies the term Patriot, John doesn't know who Dick Cheney was. <laughs> And like, yeah, he works on behalf of the United States government and works in intelligence. And yet, I don't think John is concerned with or really cares about the day-to-day workings of American politics at all. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't keep up with anything. Right. And I, he doesn't need to, I guess, for his role. But it's it was so interesting. I was just like, man, that's just like a strange detail where Tom's just trying to shoot Leslie in the face during the duck hunt. And he says Dick Cheney and John's like, who is that? Yeah. So it's just like former vice president. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, for anyone who has not yet watched Patriot, um, is there anything either of you would say to them to just encourage them to try, give it a watch? It's only 18 episodes. Just just do it. I mean, I, I think the runtime of the show total is like maybe like 12 hours. It's not that big of a time commitment um, and you won't regret it. Um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Do it for the music and do it for John. Uh, that's all I got. If you like shows like uh, like Barry or Better Call Saul or things like that, I honestly am shocked that this show isn't talked about in the same leagues as stuff like that and like Breaking Bad, Mr. Robot and all that because I think it definitely deserves to be in that league. One thing I will – I'll save this extra for tomorrow. I was going to talk about how the production – is so belabored, and I think that contributed to why it didn't really get seen by anyone. But I'll talk about that for season two. <laughs> well, all right. Thank you both, uh, Matt and Maddie, so much for talking with me about Patriot. The show is very near and dear to my heart, and I'm really glad the three of us could celebrate it together today. And with that, I think we'll, we'll close it out. You've been listening to Social Night at WDBM. For more content and for more Patriot, feel free to check us out at Impact89FM dot org.